this is the hard truth of Tony Schaefer, powered by Six Hour, never settle. I had a choice of what I carried in combat, always carried the best. The very best is Six Hour. Always carry Six Hour, always carry the best. We are on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, also available on the America Out Loud Podcast Network. Check us out at projectsentinel.com.net. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or I should say, not Twitter, X, and all the other social media sites, Rumble, and, of course, on uh, iTunes, on Apple. So without further ado, uh, we're going to introduce our guest for today. Uh, Today, we are joined by Fred Rumack. Fred is a... uh, a professional geologist, who I'm going to discuss today uh, the issues regarding climate, climate science, climate change, and all the issues relating to energy. Uh, he is actually, I mentioned, a, a registered practitioner in both Canada and the United States. He has a graduate degree from the University of Manitoba and received additional postgraduate academic training in the University of Calgary. And uh, Fred, uh, I'm a big fan of Canada. I was just there for uh, Thanksgiving, which obviously you guys celebrate Thanksgiving the first week of October. So I was like doing a counter holiday, hanging around in, in Montreal and, and Toronto. And by the way, I like Montreal better than Toronto. It was like, it was like uh, France without the French. So uh, anyway, besides that, it was, it was good to be there. So Fred, thank you for joining, joining us in the hard truth today. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm pleased to be uh, requested to join your program. So uh, tell us a little bit about your background because I am, um, you know, according to the left, all climate scientists and experts are on their side. And I, I just have never believed that. And I'm, you know, as you know, we've discussed this before. I've got a degree in environmental studies, Rice State University at 86. While I'm not a practitioner, I do have credentials and I've studied this extensively as an academic and a practitioner from the perspective of military and national security. So, but you've got a much deeper and more practical background. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've come to be an expert in this area. Well, I'm, I'm a petroleum geologist. I've been living and working in Calgary since uh, the late 70s. I actually grew up in Manitoba near Winnipeg, actually. There was an Air Force base that was run by the Americans right after the war, and I all the kids from the base were bused to my school. So I've been familiar with United States and people from the United States basically since I was in grade one. That's great. I've always had a great admiration for the States and I've been everywhere from, I could sing the song. I've been everywhere from Blaine, Washington to Miami, from Boston to San Diego and everywhere in between. Um, I uh, practiced professional geologist and a lot of times uh, my friends and I had talked about some of the stuff going on in the world. And I think one of the things that we have an appreciation for that a lot of people don't realize is time yeah um you know we talk in present time frames of the weather changing over the last 20 or 30 years well those are immeasurable small time points in time when oil and natural gas hydrocarbons as they're called uh took tens of millions of years to form hundreds of millions of years ago and when it comes to climate uh you know, they call people like us deniers. Climates do change, but they don't—they they morph. Yes. They morph into different uh, zones and, and that around the world at different points of time. Like, for example, I'm just a little over 70 years old, and when I was born, Baffin Island was an Arctic climate. Sahara was a desert climate. 
Miami was subtropical and Costa Rica was tropical. Well, it still is. The weather has changed within those zones from time to time. We have dry weather, we have cold weather, we have wet weather, and we have warm weather. So it's cyclical. Yeah. But as far as the climates in my lifetime and yours, they haven't changed an, an iota. Right. <clears throat> now, just looking at uh, the thing that puzzles myself and most of my colleagues of which I'm a member of the CO2 coalition. I'm not acting on their behalf today, but I am a member and have been almost right. since their inception back in 2015. Uh, the world has seemed to have demonized CO2. Bingo. Victor. And I, I don't personally know why, because first of all, CO2 is the most important gas in the atmosphere. Right. Without CO2, we'd have no photosynthesis. Without photosynthesis, we'd have no flora, which for your listeners are plant life. Right. And the process of photosynthesis not only gives us plant life, which is the lowest form in the you know, food chain, it also, as a byproduct, provides us with our oxygen in the atmosphere. And if you go into the history of the world, I have a chart here, where back in the Cambrian around 500 million years ago, CO2 levels were, you know, approaching seven, 8,000 parts per million. Right. And as the CO2 was absorbed into the cold oceans and mixed with the calcium that was dissolved in the wa waters from, from uh, marine life, formed calcium carbonate, CaCO3, and from the Cambrian to the end of the Carboniferous Age, or Mississippian, which was a little over 200 million years old, that's when all the major limestone formations in the world were laid down in the form of calcium carbonate. Right. Now, in the mid-Devonian, about 400, 375, 400 million years ago, is when plant life, uh, land plants appeared. Mm -hmm. Now, according to my colleague, Dr. Patrick Moore, who was one of the founders of Greenpeace, at the time plant, land plants appeared was when basically photosynthesis was born. <clears throat> at that time, the atmosphere was starved of, of oxygen, and that's really when the oxygenation of the earth uh, started to take place. Right. <clears throat> at the same time, the plant growth exploded. There was lush, lush vegetation for probably 75 million years that would have made the Amazon jungle today look barren. This was very lush for a very long period of time, and that brought the CO2 levels even down further to about 400 parts per million at the end of the Carboniferous period. And we call the Carboniferous period that because it was very lush in plant life and a lot of our oil, gas, and of course, most of the world's major coal deposits were founded and sourced at that particular time. And then as time went on, temperature and CO2 fluctuated, and we are in the present form where we are today at about 410 parts per million. Right. And we have the media all hysterical and the United Nations, IPCC, and these people are all talking about CO2 having gone up to drastic levels. 
we're at historic lows of CO2. I know. So and it's it's in literature. It's not me saying it. It's no, I know scientific fact. So Fred, this is uh, thank you for giving uh, the audience who has not studied this to any great degree probably a fundamental education in geologic time. I've said this over and over that that weather is weather, but geologic time is actually the measure which you must use to examine true and enduring climate change because you can't do it anything less than and correct me if i'm wrong right now i think people the science scientists that i tend to follow and believe there's about eleven thousand years in the current climate cycle is that accurate about the current cycle that we can kind of track is about eleven thousand years in length that's about correct that's when the last ice age ended right and you know what caused the ice age what caused it to start to melt and melt drastically? Like I, I sometimes do silly calculations and my numbers not, might not be too accurate. Yeah. But the glaciers probably went down as far south as Phoenix. Now, if you've ever been north of Phoenix, just north of the town, there's a golf course and a club there. It's called boulders. There's yeah. these huge boulders piled up there. They're the size of houses. Small ones are the size of semi-trailer. How did those things get there? They were at the front of the glacier Being as pushed. it advanced. Yeah. Now, how can a glacier push a 100-foot big pebble? Well, the glaciers at that time were about two kilometers thick, wow. which is about 1.2 miles in, in, in Imperial. All right. So if you take a 100-foot uh, boulder in front of a 5,000-foot-high wall of ice, and you put that down to scale, it's basically a three-foot yardstick moving a grain of sand. Right. And so and people can see this also in Central Park in New York City. There's actual uh, scoring from yes. the bedrock. I've been there. I've seen them. Yeah, where you have had little pebbles being drug along the yes. bedrock and be in leaving lines from the larger ice pushing it down. So they're called striations. Right. So there's evidence of this all around. And and what I find frustrating is that that people like John Kerry, who claims to be a climate scientist who has no credentials in this, goes out and says completely obnoxious and incorrect things regarding CO2. And uh, I call him old bolt neck because he does look like Herman Munster and probably is not anywhere near as smart as him because he constantly m mimics science. He, he will go and testify on things which he does not fully understand, will give partial information. Uh, people like Thomas Massey, Thomas is a friend of mine, I love Congressman Massey, will call him out uh, on his hypocrisy. And yet somehow, Fred, the fact that you have charlatans like him uh, and others who essentially will will lie for purposes of trying to create conditions where their 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 projects are funded, because certain members of certain governments want a preconceived conclusion. That conclusion has nothing to do with science; has to do with with essentially promoting a certain perspective that CO two is bad. CO two is plant food, as you pointed out. That's all it basically is. And if you look at all the the, the information which I could supply you on crop yields and stuff from potatoes, rice, grains. They've shot up tremendously in the last 50, 60 years. There was French satellite imagery from the 80s showing that foliage in the world has gone up by 18% in the last 40 years. 
Wow. The, the, the data's all there. Yeah. And, you know, Mr. Kerry and all these other, Mr. Mann and all these other people, Mr. Gore, I, I don't know why they're doing this. Oh, I know why they're doing it. Well, the, the thing that bothers me most, too, is a lot of academics are doing this because, yeah. in my mind, they've reverse engineered all these uh, IPCC temperature readings. They, they, they've come up with a number that they want to promote, and then they back out all the yeah. data, and they garbage in, garbage out. And I, I just I don't understand why they're demonizing CO2 because it's not a problem. I know that a couple of people, I won't mention their names, that belong to the CO2 coalition and are very, very astute physicists out of Princeton, they've just done some studies recently using Max Planck's equations and a guy named Schwarzschild and using both physics, pure physics and math, if you doubled CO2 to 800 parts per million, the maximum you could raise the Earth's atmospheric temperature is 0 0.8, 0 0.8 of one degree C. Right. And Dr. Moore has told me that in order to double the CO2 in the atmosphere, you'd basically have to consume and combust all known recoverable hydrocarbon reserves in the world. Right. Because CO2 is not a, uh, a, um, um, a greenhouse gas. Water is. Water There's no it. such thing as a greenhouse gas. They have a greenhouse effect. Right. And CO2 does, methane does, but methane is only at 1.9 parts per million. And I have a little chart here I just looked at. Like yeah. Canada has 40 million people. So if you compare that, you'd have 76. So if you were compared it to criminals, would we need the police force that we have in force today if we had 1.9 bad guys per million? We'd have 76 bad guys, and the states would have 633 bad guys. Like, so we've demonized methane, and it is a greenhouse gas, no doubt about it, but it's so minute in the atmosphere, it's a non starter. No, well, water and clouds are much more of a greenhouse gas. I mean, water vapor can, makes up 95%. And if we never had what I call a thermal blanket around the Earth, which is just in the troposphere, which is right. the first six miles, just above the top of Mount Everest. If we never had water vapor in the atmosphere, we'd all freeze to death. Exactly. It's like a thermal blanket. I call right. it a thermal blanket. So, so, so what, yeah, sorry, keep going. Go on, go, keep going because I mean, I want to. Yeah, I want people to understand this. To hydrogen. Um, one of the my colleagues in the CO two coalition and I one of the senior officials and I were talking that hydrogen is sounds very good, but hydrogen to produce it is energy negative. Mm -hmm. It takes more energy to put into either di uh, electrolysis or splitting a, a methane molecule, CH4, because hydrogen therefore becomes energy negative. And hydrogen is also very explosive. If you remember the Hindenburg, yes, that was full of hydrogen. They were coming to the United States to replace it with helium. Whether it was sabotage or not, the thing exploded and burnt, killed a bunch of people. Right. So hydrogen's byproduct is water vapor, which what they're doing by 
demonizing CO2 is they're demonizing a gas that has about a 4.2% effect on atmospheric temperature, and then they're going to enhance the 95%. Right. It'll be a disaster. So, so yes, and so that's the other point I've heard members of Congress make in these hearings is the the more you you the more you have people meddling with gas balances, the more they try to reduce CO two, the more they jeopardize. First off, the the good progress the Earth is making in making itself more livable for us. I mean, the reduction in CO two, Fred, would actually have catastrophic consequences to our ability to grow and, and have uh, life as we know it. Am I correct on that? Well, that's that's correct, unless you're a eugenist by like some of these guys. Which I'll get into in a bit. Yes, I want to talk about Malthus- Malthusian economics and what was behind eugenics and all that, because that's what I think is at play here is politically. But we'll get to that. The so, other yeah. thing that I yeah. that I would like to talk about is carbon sequestration, which to me is a crime against humanity. They're spending billions and billions of dollars doing this when we've got food shortages, shortage of clean water, accommodations for the world's population. And the one thing that a lot of people don't realize is when you take natural gas out of a reservoir, people think they can inject CO2 back into it for carbon storage. (laughs) But carbon dioxide and methane have totally different properties below ground under pressure right their triple point their flash point all these things are different their permeability are different in everything and there was an article to today on the news in alberta where a lot of the indian bands up in the north are very worried now that that, that where they're sequestering a lot of the co2 they're going to have explosions and eruptions and all that and that might be a little far-fetched but not that far-fetched right so, but the, the, just the monkeying around for it you, with with CO two and, and believing somehow that man is the cause of the of the increased. I, I think you know, according to the stats I know, man produces a fraction of a percent of a fraction of a percent of what is produced every year on the planet, and to, even to increase it would be a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. And it, for the audience to understand, there was actually, I, I, I back in the 1980s, the Reagan administration did a survey to to assess what co2 effects were on interstate highways because obviously they had just gone to catalytic converters fred you may know this better than me but basically the U, the u.s uh, i think it was u.s geological survey did a, a survey of cars on interstate highways trying to figure out the effects of co2 and the summary of that uh survey was that the green the 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 the, the actual growth of plants was enhanced by by the presence of more CO2. And And that's a good thing. The the things that the catalytic converters did, and rightfully so, and and the better refining of gasoline and better engines got rid of sulfuric and nitric oxides. That was that goal. And that's smog, CO2. The one thing that really bothers me, and I'd like this to get across to all your audience, is when they show these smokestacks with this white billowy stuff coming out, you'll notice that between the top of the smokestack and the white, there's there's a gap. And that's because the effluent is coming out hot. And when it hits the air, it, it condenses. Mm-hmm. That white billowy stuff is water vapor. 
Right. Scientifically, CO2 is a colorless, odorless gas. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm glad you're pointing it out because I think so many people have been deceived on that. So let's go through a couple of, of uh, stats that our audience could probably understand because yeah. I, I don't want to get too deep for them, at least this show. And I, I, Fred, I'd like to have you back for a deeper discussion uh, on this because I think people need to be educated because they 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 are propagandized, not educated. So exactly. Let's go through a few numbers. So um, according to sources, sources I believe are true, there is approximately 3.04 trillion trees on the planet. That's a lot of trees. I use it as a trick trick question, by the way, in in interviews with people who don't understand this. And if you you multiply 48 pounds, and and so each tree on average, according to another source, so that's according to... um, the tree numbers, according to Princeton, so that's a that's a credible source, and then according to the USDA, which is a I guess a credible source, U.S. government, mostly credible, I guess. Um, a typical amount of CO two consumed by by a tree is forty eight pounds. So, if you multiply forty eight by three point zero four trillion, we don't have a carbon problem. It basically is the the carbon that's produced is as readily used. As plant food. Am, am I wrong on that? No, you're absolutely right. And and it goes back to why are they demonizing carbon dioxide? Right. And why is everybody if if fixated on the word emissions? Yeah. Nature gave us this stuff over a long period of time. Right. Man appeared on the earth. We discovered hydrocarbons, no such thing as a fossil fuel. I don't right. know where that word comes from. Yeah. They're hydrocarbons, and we have utilized them. Right. And 43% of all daily production is used for transportation, of which 10% in the aggregate is jet fuel. Right. The other 57% give us mechanized farming, pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, and all the other synthetics that we all have and use Every day from the paint on your shirt to my pen, plastic, and everything else. Right. So I'm sitting on nylon. And my, by the way, nylon is a wonder fiber. It's great stuff. It can be used for any number of things. And uh, nylon would not exist in its form, which is very durable. There's uh, different forms of it. Teflon is a form of nylon, I think. And there's a number of derivatives. Uh, Fred, none of that could exist without petroleum. Uh, you can't make nylon out of, uh, out of uh, solar energy, right? No, they're called polymers. We're, you know, unless we can replace polymers, what are we going to do to live? Right. I mean, everything, uh, this is plasticized. I got a highlighter here. It's all plastic. Right. Your car is half plastic. My cell phone is plastic. So, So that's my point. It's like I see these people, these millennials running around protesting fuel, demanding that we stop. Uh, all production or refining or finding of, of it's like do you understand the very clothing you're wearing is made of petroleum products probably in some form everything that i you know this is a cotton t-shirt but as you point out the ink yeah. is made from petroleum Tony, they don't we have a chain across canada called canadian tire which is like ace hardware yeah i know who they are they do a lot of stuff i've seen I've, okay I've so i'm in canadian tire a couple of years ago and uh the girl at the till said would you like a bag? And they offered me paper or plastic. This is a true story. Yeah. And I said, I want plastic. 
She said, why? I said, I'm in the oil business. I like plastic. <laughs> this girl, there was a lady standing beside her at the till to talk to her. It was the girl's, it happened, turned out to be the girl's mother. And I got talking to this girl. She was a grade 12 student. Yeah. And I says, well, she said to me, what, what does plastic have to do with the oil business? And I said, well, where does plastic come from? She thought that plastic was from a tree. And her mother tore into her and said, what have I been sending you to school for? Is that what you're learning? Like, this is the stuff that the kids don't understand. I've had kids come up to me and say, we should remove all the CO2 from the atmosphere. Like, what are these kids learning in school? It's not science. So We learned photosynthesis in grade seven yeah. when the teacher gave us all a bean and we wrapped it in a wet paper towel and watched it sprout. Right. Look, I did too. Look, I, my, I got a degree in 86 and it was still, I don't think they politicized it completely. And uh, the one thing I'm going to, we're going to take a break here in a second, but one thing that they did teach, which I found completely insane was the, the concept of peak oil. Now, Fred, we can debate this a little bit. I'm not sure if we're completely in, in sync on that. We'll, we'll cover that in the second part of the show. But I can tell you, as you know, as part of my degree for environmental studies, I had to learn about weather. Uh, I learned about weather patterns, how they function, what weather is versus climate. They're very different and distinct. We had to my one of my final exams for for, for I had to draw from memory. Uh, we had white. You know, I don't know if you remember from your college days. They have the old. Uh, pink of the old uh, blue books you have to fill in right in we had to diagram and write from mem from memory no references you couldn't have any books the functioning of a nuclear power plant and you had to draw it out and diagram and fill in everything and how it functioned that was that was the final exam and it was all hard science and by the way it was i was only getting an art but it was it was it, it didn't matter if you're getting a ba or bs you had to do the same work and so it was hard science and then the only piece of fiction I remember that they really did kind of push was this idea of peak oil. And basically back then they were saying, oh, by 1980, by 1999, 2000, we're going to be out of oil, which obviously never happened. So uh, Fred, I want to hit that when we come back. We're going to take a break right now. We're halfway through the show. Uh, this is Tony Schaefer with The Hard Truth. We'll be back with part two of the show with uh, Fred Rumack uh, uh, continuing our discussion real quick. We'll be right back. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. 
Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Hey, this is the Hard Truth, Tony Schaefer, Part 2. Powered by Six Hour, never settle. Uh, six Hour is uh, my choice because I carried uh, carried in combat. I had a choice of what I carried in combat. I always carried Six Hour. I suggest you carry Six Hour. Carry the best, never settle. We are also on the, podca- the America Out Loud podcast network and radio network. Check us out at projectsentinel.com and uh, .net. And we're on Twitter. Well, we're not on Twitter, we're on X, whatever X is now. And we're on uh, YouTube, Rumble, and a- Apple iTunes and everything else. So we're coming. Oh, and by the way, before I forget, Cherie Curry does our, our cover and bumper music. Uh, God bless you, Cherie. Her birthday's coming up. So we're going to wish her a happy birthday here real soon, sometime soon. Right, Chris? She's coming right around the corner here, right? Absolutely. As a matter of fact. So anyway, so we, we appreciate her sticking with our show. Uh, check her out at uh, chainsawchicks.com. She does amazing work with chainsaws in a positive way, too, not ch- Texas chainsaw murder type either. Just saying. And so we're back with Fred, uh, Fred Rumack uh, from Calgary. Uh, Fred, uh, how, how's the weather up there today, by the way? I forgot to ask. Well, it's we've actually been having some very good weather. We had a couple of inches of snow before Halloween, and I didn't get my yard done, but I... Uh, it all melted and everything's cleaned up and it's been in uh it's been around 50 52 fahrenheit for the last couple of weeks today it's a little cooler it's 35 
I still well, use Fahrenheit. I don't go into the Celsius. I well, good for you. I don't either. And I, it was interesting because I was up in uh, Montreal for Thanksgiving, which again, great town. Montreal, you do. I love the town. It was great, and I, I, I love Canada anyway. I always talk about Canada is like our. It's like an attic. You go up there, and it's like, oh my god, I forgot all these cool things are up here. You know, and you want to come back. So anyway, not. I, I mean that in a very positive way. Well. There's lots of us here that after eight years of Trudeau, we want to get out. <laughs> sure, that's true. So I heard that uh, if I got up there in late November, it, I would see uh, his Trudeau's eyebrows flying south. I didn't see him. Though. I was hoping to see it. And I didn't see it. I don't know why. Hmm. So maybe wow. they already flown south. So anyway, back <laughs> to serious stuff. So we were talking at the end of the first segment about uh, kind of the reality of what's going on. So right now, Fred, uh, this week, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is the COP28, which is, uh, I, I think, UN code for how to grift on a global basis because so much of what they're going to be talking about has nothing to do with science. We, I think, laid out a compelling case of, of scientific facts and uh, 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 provable trends based on geologic science based on an understanding of physics relating to the physical uh, components of atmosphere, of, of oxygen, of CO2, and these sorts of things. But they're, they're off doing stuff that has no relevance. And one of the things I wanted to bring up, it, 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 which I think impacts even now, is this idea of peak oil. And I keep reading about how fossil fuel is going to run out. And this is one of those problematic things that I was fed and I was skeptical of because we were told at the time, and this is my degrees from 86, so I did this in 84, 85, that we had a limited amount of fuel left. And there, <laughs> after a certain point in time, at a peak, uh, all oil would, would cease being available. It would double and triple and, and quadruple in price and become unavailable. And we would slip into despair and chaos. Well, it's not happened. There's no indication it's going to happen. We keep finding bigger reserves. What's behind this whole peak oil thing, Fred? And why do we keep hearing these doomsday scenarios from the left and those at this, this climate summit? Well, it's kind of a doom and gloom type of scenario. I believe what you're originally talking about was Hubbard Peaks. Yes. There was a guy named Hubbard back in the 50s, I think, in early 60s that did some calculations based on what the world had accomplished at that point in time. And he had projected that sometime, and I forget it, I've read it and I've studied it, but I have to confess I forgot that they were going to be a period of peak oil. But <clears throat> the thing is, what people don't understand is the vastness of the world, even though we're small in the universe, and the vastness of petroleum basins, and the amount of actual hydrocarbon that's actually been generated and is in place, it's, it's mind-boggling. Right. The other thing that didn't exist when Hubbard uh, was, was in his glory <clears throat> was there was little, very little offshore production. And with the advance of modern technology, offshore rigs, floating platforms, etc., etc., the oil business has been able to go out and discovered the North Sea, Hibernia off Newfoundland, Campos and Santos Basin off Brazil, stuff in Indonesia, just to mention a few, lots of this has happened. The other big push that just came in the last 15 or 20 years, it was developed a long time ago. I remember my first trip to Texas was in 1982 to a course in Houston, and I spent the weekend 
at Huntsville at some friends of mine. And my colleague at that time was showing me some knuckles that they had so they could bend drill pipe. And they were kind of like universal joints in a car. And he was explaining all this to me because someone down there had a harebrained idea of drilling horizontal. Well, now with modern metallurgy, mud motors and all these things, horizontal drilling has opened up huge, huge, huge amounts of, of petroleum and natural gas reserves. Right. The Barnett mm -hmm. Shale, the Eagleford, the Haynesville, the Montney up here in Canada and the Duvernay, plus all over the world. The there's We're not even close to coming to peak oil. Plus, in a small place like Alberta, there's still many of us people believe there's still a lot of oil to find conventionally with just vertical drilling. <clears throat> and modern seismic techniques and all that are opening this frontier up again. So, yeah. But, but this is the thing you, you just mentioned, I know to be completely accurate and factual. Now, I, I want to have another show with you, Fred, so we can talk more about the dynamics of, of why the industry that you work with, and I, I'd like to believe you benefit from your expertise, do not speak more strongly out about this because I see uh, ExxonMobil and others all at least virtue signaling saying, oh, we want to do this renewable energy stuff. It's... It's not practical. I, it's I, political I, correctness, Tony. That's what they're doing right now. It's amazing because I, I always go out and I, I do talks on this, as, as the team knows. I, I, I talk about this, and Jerry Corsi, Dr. Corsi, also covers this. And when I do a lecture on this, and I do a number of, of talks around the nation, I always ask the question, what is the one thing, what is the one requirement for green energy? And everybody looks at me and is like, oh, I don't know. It's fossil fuel. You can't have green energy without without fossil fuel. You cannot mm -hmm. build cars. You cannot build anything because mm -hmm. fossil because green energy will not produce anything other than electricity. It's, my, it's really my, that simple. My rebuttal is to people that, you know, when they say we have to go green, I say, well, how can you go green without chlorophyll? <laughs> what makes a tree green? What makes a grass green? That's, that's a good point. And where mm -hmm. does chlorophyll come from? It comes through the process of photosynthesis, which main ingredient is CO2. Right. And people say, really? Really? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. It's amazing. It's amazing how, and I'll say this with respect, how ignorant people are. They just seem to forget mm -hmm. everything they learn in school. And when you bring some of this stuff up, they say, oh, gee, yeah, you know, you're right. I remember that. And it's oh, true. So I actually had a friend a few years ago. I guess she's still a friend. She was a millennial, not a millennial. She was a, a Gen Z or she's in her, I guess, thirties now. And I talked about the fact that I had an environmental studies degree and I was, I challenged her regarding this whole green energy thing. Oh, well, your degree is old. It's like, really science. So I was taught with science. So somehow my degree being old uh, invalidates the fact that I was taught scientifically. It's, 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 it's that level, Fred, of some of the younger folks who are so either self-deceived or unwilling to actually examine mm -hmm. facts for what they are. It's an emotional issue for them. <laughs> That's yes, they've yeah. been brainwashed with it and they yeah. don't they they have no linear thing, they have no uh yeah. critical thinking. They they have no, no logic thinking. whatsoever. My grade so, seven, when my granddaughter was in grade seven, she phoned me and she said, Grandpa, you're bad. <laughs> And I said, why? She said, because you're in the oil business. You're a geologist. 
And this was a number of years ago. She's 23 now. I said, yeah. who told you that garbage? She said, the school teacher. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I, I phoned the principal the next day. Yeah. As she lives out of town. Uh, and I, I said, like, why are you teaching the kids this? I said, would you like, how did you get to work today? How did your car roll on tires? You have mm -hmm. tar on your roof. You have shingles at your house. You had a bath and hot water with natural gas. Blah, 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 blah. I went on and on and on. I said, if you want to give all these things up and stand scantily clothed, clothed hungry <laughs> in the middle of a field, fine. But, but, you know, like everything we have today is related to hydrocarbons. Yeah. All right. First off, I don't want to see a vast majority of these people hovered over anything naked and unclothed, et cetera, et cetera. That's not good. Yeah, that's number, true. number two, these people, right. Critical thought is gone. There's never, it's always, it's, it's either one extreme or the other, with especially the younger generation. You're bad. Look, if somebody comes to me, if, if any of my uh, younger nieces or nephews come to me and say, well, my teacher says you're bad. I'd say, actually, when I was that age, bad meant good. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. But, on, yeah. On, but that's what these kids are coming home. <sighs> uh, and again, I was in this, I, I was taught in the 70s. This is, this is when all these things were started. This is when people were talking about, hey, you should mm -hmm. make sure you, uh, uh, you're wary of global warming. That's before it became global, uh, global cooling and then climate change. It's, it's, a, it's, it's about convenience. And we're going to be hearing these people out of, uh, uh, out of uh, COP28, these discussions, aside from the uh, oil discussions that Dubai may be having. But we're going to be hearing people coming out of here with new ways to scare young people into uh, exactly. uh, screwing up the country even further. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's 70,000 attendees going to that thing. Jeez. 70,000. Oh, is that how many? And how are oh, they going to get there? To put, and to where put are they going to stay? Yeah. Where are the they going to eat? Train, plane, yeah. To put it in perspective, oh. that's about uh, seven times the amount of people who go to Tampa Bay Rays games. Well, if they all went in hmm. 747s, that's like 240 plane loads of people. And they're all going to be coming from different. And don't think that the Pope... And King Charles and Guterres are going to be flying economy class. No, no. no, of course not. No, no. The Pope was going to fly with Santa Claus, I think, with reindeer. But that's a different story. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, Schellenberg bent the Pope this way. I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic. And he he bent the Pope in, in a paper called Laudato Sea. Yeah. And that was a guy named Schellenberg. Well, he's since recanted, and he's now on our side of the fence. Good. He knew that everything yeah. that he was talking about was actually a lie. And I have some stuff here, Tony, I'll send to you. Please do. It's that 97% people, the scientists agree, they cherry-picked everything, and they exactly. only used 10,010 exactly. people out of 11,944 people polled, and they only took those results to give the 97% agree in global warming. So uh, that's, I'll let my colleagues jump in here and, and be more vigorous in, in the questioning, Fred, but let me ask one last thing. I think this, and I did mention this earlier, I think this has to do with Malthusian thinking. Malthus, who, though, who don't necessarily follow him, was an economist who basically justified uh, the idea of eugenics, of, of limited and, and uh, crop growth that would not be sufficient for human uh, civilization mm -hmm. to continue to expand. That thinking has been uh, a, a primary 
virus, which has infected many politicians over the, the last hundred years. He, he was around, I guess, the latter part of the 18th, the 1800s, I guess, part of the 19th century. But Fred, to me, all of this is simply uh, used for purposes of, of political gain by the, the political class. And people like you and I who try to basically say, look, no, I've got a degree and I, I know this, or you have practical experience, you try to explain it, we're the bad guys. Yeah. How, how is this possible? Well, I don't know. It's just, it's the ignorance of the public. People mm -hmm. are just too busy with Facebook and all this other nonsense. TikTok. I mean, I sit around and think about stuff. If you take 1.75 square feet, which is about 17 inches square, it's plenty mm -hmm. of room to stand on a tile. Now, some bigger people would need more room, but a woman could be holding a child and standing on this tile. If you gave everybody <laughs> in the world... 1.75 square feet to stand on and multiply that by four, 8 billion and divide it by 512 and divide that by 5228 the entire population could stand comfortably within Los Angeles city limits of 512 square miles wow wow i've done the math yeah you take 5, that's that's good math <laughs> Square it, you get 27 million something. Multiply mm -hmm. that by 512, and you get a 14 billion square feet, and divide that by 8 billion, and you get 1.75. Wow. So if you stand in, in uh, Los Angeles and somebody flies over there at 50,000 feet, you can't even see them. And when you think about stuff like skyscrapers and railway trains and all this stuff just go up in the sky five miles and these things become microscopic mm -hmm. yeah all right well go ahead guys jump in oh i was just going to say you know um so many things that you know talking about people who don't think critically you know so many you know of our i don't want to say all college students and youth but a lot of them do basically just follow along with whatever AOC says, you know, whatever, because it makes them feel good. They're not being taught to think critically, but one of the, so I was kind of looking up before we did this, you know, a lot of the myths that the liberals will try to tell us is renewable energy can replace fossil fuels. Um, and that we can still live a lifestyle similar to the one we have now by using the wind, solar, uh, the biofuels, but instead of us trying to explain our science, because, you know, like Tony and Fred, you're saying we have the science to back this up. Right. Instead, I kind of like to reverse it and say, OK, you believe that. Show me the science that supports that claim. A healthy debate, you know, is a good back and forth and they can't do it. AOC can't do it. She just no, sits there. Can't. She whines. You know, they don't have. But I love to constantly ask them, show, like my even my son, Eric, it's like. Show me the proof, and he can't do it. He just starts talking about philosophy. It's like <laughs> these are emotional well, arguments. Doctor, yeah, it's, it's emotional. The they don't think through the consequences. Like twenty years from now, how's the wind and the and the solar going to help you? Yeah, get in your car. It's it's not going to help you. It's not going to make your pen. <laughs> right. The other thing is, like some of the heads of the CO two coalition, Doctor Happer, Pat Moore. A couple of these people have requested 
debates with some of the politicians, Mike Mann, all these guys in front of a panel with predetermined questions, nothing coming out of left field. They've been turned down all the time. They've never had one request to debate at all because when you really boil down to it, scientifically, all these alarmists do not have a leg to stand on. Right. They do not. And they know it. But they're just going they on idealism. It. And like our Guibo, that guy mm. that was hanging from the Toronto Tower a few years back, he's now our environment minister. But here's the deal here. <laughs> Bernays, propaganda. That's the one. That's oh. the one. Even Goebbels bought this book before for the Nazis. This thing came out in the 20s. Wow. No oh, propaganda. God. And it's an American guy named Ed Bernays. And the propaganda in modern times started. And the first commercial, the first propaganda that was started commercially was Lucky Strike Cigarettes. Oh, oh wow. wow. We the commercials as a kid. Yeah. Hey, we greasers like those, all right, back in the 50s. That's yeah. what happened. But it so is. People have just basically had the wool pulled over their eyes. And if you've ever read the book One Nation by uh, Dr. Uh, ben Carson, the neurosurgeon. I know, Ben. I've not read his book, though. That's a good book. I'm yeah, sure that's a good book. Now. And one thing that he did say in that book, he said, well, two things that always stuck in my mind. If you, the kids, history has been erased because if you don't know your past, as you move forward in life, you don't know whether things are getting better, worse, or staying the same. Right. Because you have no reference point. That's a good point. Yeah. And then the next chapter, he said that the average American, and I'm not knocking anybody here, is more interested within who's on the next episode of Dancing with the Stars than who's representing them in Congress and the Senate. Right. And, and Chris, I think that goes worldwide. Uh, that's yeah. It's not a slight against Americans. It's no. worldwide. People, I have I have a whole host of climate books. I've read 45 books that I bought and read. I live in a cul-de-sac, and I've given these books out to my neighbors and said, look, read this stuff. 99.999% of them. Within three weeks, bring the book back and say, oh, I just didn't have any time. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, well, make a note typical. of that, Chris. That it's we need typical to of everybody. No, I know. I know. Well, I, look, I got all these books behind me. I've read it probably exactly. About so, exactly. Chris, make a note to invite Dr. Carson onto the show. We have to have him on and talk about this. Not only will I make a note to invite Dr. Carson on the show, I'm going to make a note to say it's about that time again. Oh, it is. That's right. It Tony is. Takes. Six Hour presents Tony's Takes. That's right. They power they power Tony's Takes and never settle. I don't settle. And I don't settle for bad Tony's Take questions. So let's go right into it. Right. We have a few minutes left. So while Israel has been kind enough to pause its retaliation against Hamas in Gaza, right. several EU and UN types, as well as President Biden, have called for a post-war two-state solution and, get this, a strong Palestinian authority. Yeah, as if after an Israeli win, they think Netanyahu is going to say, "All right, all good now. Come back and take all your land back." Oh, oh, by the way, here's the West Bank too. What's your take, Tony? <laughs> so I think uh, the two two state solution should include California. Can we give them California as well as giving them another state? That another would be great. I think that way, just you know, I think uh, Governor Newsom will have a new job, uh, and I think he's got like this nuclear haircut. So no, no amount of, 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 of rockets blasting off or blowing up will muse it. So I think it's a good idea. Mm. I think 
You know, just mentioning Palestine, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I I have a friend here in Calgary who's a retired plumber now. I've known him for about 40 years. He's Palestinian. He was actually born and raised in Bethlehem. And wow. he told me that after the war, when uh, Churchill and all these guys got together and they formed Israel, I believe around 1948, the Palestinians were just happy as hell to sell a bunch of worthless land right. to these people and take their money to the bank. Yep. Uh, and then yep, they yep. saw this group of people who, you know, I'm talking about flourish and now they're jealous. And right. I grew up in uh, Manitoba and there was a hot, huge Jewish population in Winnipeg. And one of my friends that I met through the oil business, I don't believe he's with us anymore, a very wealthy French Jew named Jean Friedman. Uh, when I was in Paris visiting him, he told me the reason why Winnipeg had a lot of Jewish population is because they came over in the influx in 1883. And the ones that came to Canada went west. And that was as far as the railway went back in 1883. The oh. Canadian railway wasn't finished till 1885. And I grew up with lots of these people, and they're my friends. I lived in Libya and worked in Libya. And today, just before we talked, my buddy Fada Belhaj called me on WhatsApp. I have friends in all these countries, and I've lived and worked in, with all of them. And I don't know what their problem is because they both come from Abraham. Right. Oh, they're no. Half brothers. Fred, this is another area. Look, I'd love to have this discussion as well. We've been trying to educate people on the nature of Palestine versus the Israelis. You know, Jerusalem, it's in the name, Jerusalem. I mean, the Jews have been there way it's longer. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, again, it's ignorance of history. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Speaking of ignorance, here's one for you. All right. One All right. Who's getting more over coverage from the press relative, relative to her importance, I'll ask, mm, mm, mm. or perhaps lack thereof? Okay. Megan Rapino or Nikki Haley. I'm tired of seeing them both in my Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds and everything <laughs> else. And, and these kids were probably tired of seeing in their MySpace feeds and their AOLs and things like that. But who's getting more coverage relative to their lack of importance? Well, you know, well, I, I think it's a, a dual. It, you you got to address both because, you know, Nikki Haley is actually Dick Cheney uh, in as a female. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> oh, gosh. They, they probably go to the same Taylor. And then Rapino. Rapino, Rapino just reminds me of that that goth chick in, in high school that could never quite fit in, and mm. always had a bad attitude, and always smelled like patchouli. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> yeah, the excuse so to not have I to shower. Giving him e giving either one media is kind of counterproductive. Mm. Am I wrong on that? I don't well, know. Well, the Koch Foundation just endorsed Haley yesterday, I think. Oh, so there's a clue. They're back in her really? the news. Yeah. Well, there you go. That, 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 that ah. proves your theory, though, uh, uh, Tony. That's, that proves your theory that she's the uh, uh, Dick Cheney and, well, drag? Do you know what they say about Dick Cheney? Hmm. Don't want to go yeah. hunting with him? Never no, go hunting with him. Never Dick go hunting. Cheney. No, you, Dick Cheney before he dicks you. Just saying. Oh, that's got to hurt. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, we don't want to go bipolar. Well, we'll wrap it up. Fred, uh, uh, God bless you, sir, thank you for being here today and helping oh, thank us. thank you. 
Oh no, this has been great. I, it's that way was great information. Oh my gosh! For, for, the, for the for the audience to understand, Fred and I talked about doing this in 2017. And what is this? Is 2023? Ah. For goodness' sake, where did the time go? Yeah. But uh, we've got to stay in touch uh, for for whatever reason. Uh, our side, which is the, the side of truth and science, is being ignored. And I think uh, mm -hmm. the fact is, politicians use this sort of nonsense regarding this green energy to frighten people uh, that the mm -hmm. world's going to end in 10 years. Like I, I keep telling people, it's like, it's not going to end in 10 years. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. So yes. we're going to have you back. So anyway, so we've, we've been joined by the uh, ever, uh, effervescent Elizabeth Brechtenkamp and the, uh, the Ollie looking Chris Cordani when, when he's going in with his white hair to Ollie's. By the way. I was at Ollie's today. I, 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 I thought of you, it's like, man, I could see Chris walking in as as, uh, as Ollie and actually asking for discounts, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. It really fools people. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, we're wrapping up another great episode of The Hard Truth. Tony Schaefer, keep keep uh, listening, people, folks. Join us. I, I, we've been doing great on iTunes, so keep it up. And we'll be back next week with another great episode of The Hard Truth. We'll see you then. <laughs>